We live in a modern, hyper-connected world where everything is becoming smart and connected. Curious about what lies ahead and how this will impact your daily life? I'm Brett Jordan, and this is Smarter Everything, a podcast on the future of connectivity, powered by Afero. Nearly everything we do at some level is backed by a standard, and usually by some amount of regulation. Standards, in fact, influence everything we do, including this upcoming smart and connected world. Today, I'll be talking with Kirsty Payne, a cryptographer and mathematician that is former UK NCSE and now working at Splunk as a strategic advisor. We'll be talking about the future of smart and connected things, especially around the elements of standards and how they can impact security, adoption, and usability. We will also be talking about labeling systems for smart and connected devices. Will they work? Will they make things better? What are some of the issues with labeling systems? We'll try and spend a little bit of time talking about standards and standards bodies themselves and how one can get started in this amazing work. We might have a few uh, war stories to share from the trenches of standards and maybe, you know, some topics about times when we wish we had a little bit of popcorn. Another topic we will talk about today is what do consumers need to look for? What do they need to be mindful of when they bring these smart and connected devices into their lives and into their homes? We'll finish up by talking about where IoT is going in this smart and connected world and how this is going to impact consumers. Here is my conversation with Kirsty. Um, Kirsty Payne, uh, Splunk Technical Advisory for EMEA. Kirsty, it's good to see you. Um, it's been a little bit since we've last spoken. You know, you and I, you know, we've worked together for a long time, you know, on various standards initiatives and various things. Um, I know you now work at Splunk, but you used to work as a mathematician and mm-hmm. work in the NCSE. You know, today I think we could talk a little bit about standards and kind of the impact of standards on smart and connected things. But before we get started, uh, maybe you want to give a little bit of a background of, of what you've worked on and kind of maybe why standards are important. Yeah, I think that's a good motivator for the for the podcast. So, um, yeah, to start with, uh, I've worked on standards in mostly the internet and all of its things space, so IoT and internet technologies. But my role in UK NCSE was to horizon scan for things that would impact UK security in five to ten years' time. And that's why I was always working in standards, because it's a very good place to look for that kind of forward-looking view And things being developed in standards bodies today will be deployed maybe in two to three to five years time and more widespread after that. So it's a really great place to look for to see what technologies are coming down the road that will impact um, you, your business and just the technology ecosystem. So I think standards are really important. They're really cool. (laughs) I don't believe that the standards are boring. You know, you've been fooled, honestly. It's some of the most entertaining meetings, the best professionals, really expert opinions, and such a broad range of people you get to talk to. As you said, you know, there's definitely a lot of latest, greatest emerging technology uh, that you start to work on. And you begin to get a vision for what is going to come down like where is the industry and the market going uh, because it does take a long time to produce some of these standards you know i think typically it's in the three to five years but sometimes it's in the five to seven or seven to ten year time frame um you mentioned things about standards being fun and before um we go on to a couple other topics i thought we could talk about today do you have any really cool stories that uh you know could illustrate some reasons why you think standards are fun 
Oh, I, maybe it just reveals a lot about my sense of fun, right? <laughs> um, a, a couple stand out. Okay, so maybe one is in the IoT space, actually, for, for Etsy, um, working on standards that I'll talk about a bit later. And the thing I loved about working on that was the amount of collaboration, the interest that we had from governments, academia, from industry, all piling in comments on this one particular standard. And uh, my colleagues in DCMS were incredibly patient, thoroughly working through all of these. Um, and then the pandemic happened and all the in-person meetings where all those discussions in between sessions to help you iron out and work out your kind of disagreements, all of those were now over Teams or Zoom. So it became quite an intensive <laughs> resolution period for comments. So maybe that does just say a lot about my sense of fun, but I suppose at the end of it, quite an intense working period. You're always proud when you come up with a project that's really impactful and very widespread and successful. So that's one of my favorite stories, but it's a bit, I don't know, lame maybe. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fun, right? You know, and I, I think you bring up a, a great point is the collaborative nature of standards. You know, you typically have somewhere you know, between 10 and 20 people that are actively working on uh, on a standard. Uh, but you may have as many as 200 people or 300 people observing it and occasionally providing comments or things like that. But they're just in there paying attention. And that collaboration does take place, you know, in face-to-face meetings and, you know, in hallways and, you know, over donuts or, you know, you know food or coffee or whatever. So... Yeah. And I think um, actually it's a really good sign that you're making something people care about. If you're writing a standard and it's just one company or it's just you on your own in your working group and you struggle to get reviews, that kind of says a lot about how relevant what you're doing is and maybe that you've not reached the right people. So we should have been very proud of the intense nature of that collaboration, I think. So in that explanation, you mentioned you know the Etsy work. There's a lot of other standards bodies, and sometimes we refer to them as SSOs or standard setting organizations or SDOs, standard defining organizations. Which ones have you worked in or which ones do you have familiarity with? Yeah, so I've worked in Etsy, um, also the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, which is the uh, standards body that defines uh, protocols that make the internet work. And so there I chair three groups. I chair Dispatch, Gen Dispatch and the Sisters Group. Um, and I've worked a lot in that internet technology space, um, a lot in the cryptography space as well. So NIST going through um, defining post-quantum cryptography standards, been tracking that, not participating, but tracking that very closely. Um, and when I worked in NCSC, we also had colleagues that were following 3GPP and the 5G kind of development um, standards there. So those are the, the areas I've had the most contact with. I know, Brett, we... we intersect when it comes to IETF but otherwise I think you go to quite a different set of bodies to me. Yeah you know we do a lot of work in in IETF together on uh, cyber warfare cybersecurity pieces cryptography and things like that but also on the IOT space but yeah I've I've done a lot of work there I've done a lot of work in ITUT which is a an organization or a group defined by the UN uh, I've done a lot of work in Oasis and, uh, and a few other standards bodies. So uh, it's definitely a very interesting and fun experience and definitely a great way to understand, you know, what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, totally agree. So, um, Kirsty, what do you think in the form of this smart and connected space, usually in, in home, but we're starting to see, you know, kind of grid level or even metro level type uh, connected devices. What standards um, are you aware of that, uh, you know, kind of influence this or impact this space? 
great question. So um, I've, I've trailered it a few times already. Um, the ETSI EN 303-645 standard, I think is the first globally applicable standard for IoT security. It's, it's a baseline for consumer devices. If you haven't heard of it, go and look at it. <laughs> I think it's very well written. It's, um, you know, you might think, gosh, I can't bear to read another document today. I promise you it's actually very readable and covers a, a range of good topics, good security things to be aware of as a developer, manufacturer, um, distributor. And the EN3, EN303645 is really a, such a great um, standard for that. It covers 13 main areas, everything from uh, minimizing the attack surface to you know, new universal default passwords, keep your software updated, have a vulnerability disclosure policy, some very simple, basic things that many IoT devices today are not doing. And uh, the great thing about that is it has a whole ecosystem around it too. So it has a test specification to go with it, which is TS103701. And that's from Etsy as well. And it also has a technical report that helps you to meet the provision, some basic implementation guidance, some sort of plain speaking uh, language. And that's TR103621. So there's a real ecosystem of stuff going on in um, Etsy. And the reason that um, consumer devices were done first is because they are very widely uh, spread. I don't know how many IoT devices you have in your home, but actually it's quite scary when you start counting, especially if you include all your family members and your robot Hoover and everything you've got going on. It, it quickly adds up. Um, and so consumer devices are a good place to start. They're also often used in enterprises. And then, like you say, more widely, those principles apply to connected cities and those kind of sensors that are used there as well. Yeah, I, I think we can see the impact, you know, that, you know, sometimes we refer to as the Apple effect. You know, for a long time, you know, you had Netware, Novell Netware, and then you went to the Windows ecosystem. And then all of a sudden, Apple started to produce these iPods and iPhones and, and these tablets, you know, these uh, you know, iPads, and they started finding their way into the enterprise. And then all of a sudden, you had to start changing your, you know, security process and policies to deal with these executives that were bringing in these devices. And I can see the same sort of thing happening um, in this connected uh, space. A lot of times people refer to it as an IoT space, an Internet of Things space, but it's really more about a smart and connected, you know, uh, device space. So, but yeah, I, I can definitely see that working in and I see the the benefits and value of, you know, EN303645 um, and how that can provide a baseline. It's not necessarily super deep in any one area, but it's pretty, has a pretty wide breadth to the things that it covers. And so, um, obviously, if organizations were to adopt this or you were to look for products that had this certification, you could be comfortable in a certain level of security. Oh, yeah. And it, it's really covering those most common attacks as well. So it's always nice to say, well, theoretically, you know, if I, I could create a, a hash that would collide and a, that's quite a niche attack, really. We're talking about devices that still ship with admin admin. You know, we're talking about really washing that that rubbish out and selling just a basic level of hygiene there. And even if you're not super into your tech, you know, uh, if you have uh, home cameras installed, smart doorbells, smart locks, uh, all, all kinds of consoles and things connected, it really quickly adds up. So it's got it's got the potential to have a huge multiplier effect. Well, and I think, you know, for uh, people that might be listening to this podcast, we often start rolling off these specification numbers and you know, <laughs> we'll talk about these things. And, and when you work with these documents, 
for as long as we do, you begin to memorize various bits and pieces because, you know, like some of the specs or specifications that I've worked on, you know, when they're 350 pages, like you'll have read this document upwards of a thousand times. And like, you know, every little intricate detail and it's, so if, if you're wondering why, you know, I'm, yes, Kirstie is incredibly smart. You know, she's a cryptographer, she's a mathematician, um, and, you know, just really, really smart. But as you become more familiar with the standards in and around a given space, you begin to learn them and you begin to memorize the, you know, the numbers and, and you know their names and stuff like that. Just like you learn the various ingredients when you cook, you know, you learn that, oh, I need this spice and that spice and whatever. So um, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, that's very true. Obviously, mathematicians are very good with numbers, but EN303645, it just rolls off the tongue. And actually, <laughs> to encourage people to read it, I would say it's only 34 pages long. And the content starts really on page 13 to 25. So it's 12 pages, I think. I think well worth a read. <laughs> We've talked a lot about this EN 303645. So just to recap it real quickly, like what is it and what would our listeners need to understand about it and why is it important? So it's a security standard for IoT devices um, and in the consumer space specifically. So why would you care about it? It's a list of 13 key provisions and, and areas that uh together set out a very important um, cybersecurity baseline for consumer IoT devices. Um, and like I said, it's only 34 pages. And if you go skip ahead to, to page 25 and between page 12 and 25, that's where all the content is. So a great, a great document, very short, very readable um, and very contentful as well. So if you're in that IoT space and you haven't seen it yet, I really think um, now's the time. Go and search for it, EN303645. It'll pop right up. Um, it's free, it's openly available, and anyone can read it and uh, see if they meet those provisions today. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually written. I've gone through and read it. Um, I didn't personally work on that spec, but it's actually written really well. Um, a lot, sometimes standards are are not necessarily written that great. You know, uh, you have to have a kind of a deep understanding of some of the, you know, the way people talk about it or the vernacular or the terminology that people use. But but this one's actually pretty easy to understand. Thank you. Yeah, Kia. I'd say that's probably because it was a European written. Um, original spec so we had uh, a lot of people with English as their second language and that really helps when you're trying to make something clear because you get rid of all the idioms all those phrases that you just know and yeah. you get really good questions that I don't quite understand this oh yeah that doesn't really make sense when I look at it so yeah that's probably a huge thanks to the European partners <laughs> Um, one other uh, topic, you know, in this vein is, you know, with the, stand the standardization work and these things that are being done, how do standards relate to regulations and kind of going, stretching that thread a little bit, you know, how is it going to impact the state of smart and connected things or maybe even like the Cyber Resiliency Act and stuff like that? Can you talk about any of that? Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of people think standards will be transposed exactly into law. And thankfully, that's not the case, because I'm not a lawyer, and I, <laughs> I couldn't write regulation. Um, but sometimes regulators look to uh, industry to understand if their legislation is proportionate, if it's actually achievable, if it's reasonable, the kind of burden of meeting that regulation. And in the UK, especially regula regulation, especially around technology is done where 
the market is not incentivizing the rights the right behaviors yeah so for for security and um, for iot security things need to be secure but ultimately that's a slowdown to market that's a cost for a lot of businesses and so the market wasn't well incentivized so in the uk legislation was introduced that you cannot sell your product if it doesn't meet a certain level of security and there you introduce a driver and a motivating factor that changes the way the market um, views IoT security. And for the UK, it was to look at uh, three provisions in the EN 303645 specification and to mandate that there were no default passwords, that there was a vulnerability disclosure policy and that software was updated. So that's um, a little bit of an idea that regulation does draw inspiration from standards. You mentioned the EU Cyber Resiliency Act. That's a very hot topic right now, fresh off the press. Um, I think it's mid-September that the Commission EU um, launched their kind of request for, for comments and input. And that's really about addressing vulnerabilities and ensuring the security of products with uh, a digital element. So that includes IoT, but it, it also covers software. So it's quite a wide scope. And I think they're just looking now that initial thing. How realistic is it? What can you ask of people when it comes to that, that area? Is an S-form a reasonable thing to ask people to do? What should that look like? Um, you know, how many vulnerabilities can you ship with? <laughs> is, is zero a practical uh, aim? And it seems like, yes, you should ship with no, no vulnerabilities whatsoever. But then if you have a product that has, say, 10 vulnerabilities in it and you fix eight of them, but you, you still have two remaining, should you ship that? It has two vulnerabilities in it still, but it's definitely better than having 10. So all these kind of questions that are still to be resolved in there. EU Cyber Resiliency Act. It's it's a good topic, though. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about working with like DCMS um, in the UK. When you were working on some of these standards, did you work with like Ofcom as well? Um, how did you interface there? You know, obviously, you were kind of in the you know secret squirrel club. So I don't know how much of that you actually uh, you know, worked with the regulators there in the UK. Yeah, so, so DCMS is a really interesting department in the UK. And for those who don't know, that stands for uh, the Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. It's quite a broad, <laughs> broad remit. And um, roughly, I just used to say they're the Department of the Citizen, right? The things that the average citizen cares about. They care about TV and film and sports and their, you know, digital products. So that's why a lot of this stuff ended up with DCMS. And Ofcom is the regulator, which is part of DCMS. And they also have the Information Commissioner's Office, which is the, the regulator that looks at data protection, data breaches and things like that. So it's all very nice to have joined up government actually in this space. And the digital part of DCMS is what I worked with. But they're a completely separate government department and they're just interested in legislation and they need kind of technical support from NCSE to, to make sure it's achievable and realistic. That's where we would link in. Yeah, so that covers a you know a kind of an overview of some of the standards that are in this space. Obviously, there's a few others that um, are coming down the pipe, um, you know, in a couple other avenues, and maybe we'll talk about those in future uh, podcasts. Uh, working with Kirsty is always fun, and we, we always um, go through and talk about a lot of fun things. Um, you know, we we've given talks at RSA together um, on various standards. You know, we've played bingo with standards at, at RSA, and and so you know, if you haven't uh, seen that, you should come and check out. The that um, those talks or go back and look at the archives and see the things that we've talked about. One thing that's coming down the pipe uh, in this smart and connected world that I know you have a few maybe small opinions about, but is IoT labeling. Um, 
what is going on in this space? Like, what's Singapore and the UK you know, or the United Kingdom doing with this IoT labeling thing? And like, what is it? Yeah, you're you're right. I'm opinionated, so look, it's time to get a bit spicy because <laughs> I think I think the IoT labeling thing. There's really a couple of camps, and you can decide which camp you're in and see if you work out which one I'm in. So, um, Singapore, like you say, has done a lot of work on their their CLS, their Cybersecurity Labeling Scheme, and it's a, a one to four star rating on how secure a product is so that at the point of sale you can see a label that tells you you know how good that product is in its cyber security and the, the thinking is that at the point of purchase you can see two products one is maybe five dollars cheaper but it has a four, a four star rating another one that's four is um four dollars more expensive but has a four star rating and the one that's cheaper has a worse star rating. And the idea is that you think, okay, I understand I'm paying for the security. I'm happy to pay a bit more. And that's how they're trying to incentivize the market. So in the UK, uh, and actually that, that scheme, I should just say, is based on another standard, the ISO 27400 series, which is all about IoT security and privacy. And it's 27402 for those interested to go and look at it afterwards. Behind a paywall, but uh, it, is, it is available. And uh, in the UK, they did a study saying, what do you think? Shall we do a labelling scheme? What would make sense to people? How will they understand the labels? And overwhelmingly, the, the responses were about not putting the burden on the consumer and about legislating for a minimum baseline instead and just simply not giving consumers the choice to buy something terrible. And uh, that's really interesting. It's a different approach. You just know in the UK, anything you buy meets this standard. And you don't have to worry about it as a consumer. You don't have to worry about what a vulnerability disclosure policy is. For example, you just know that all those devices meet a certain baseline. And uh, yeah, it's a very different approach. The, the analogy is food labels. And, you know, I think it must be the same in the US, certainly in the UK and in Europe. You have the nutritional information of everything you buy and you can see how healthy it is. And different countries do this differently. In France, they have letters A, B, C, D, E and colors so you just see oh this is a b that's pretty good i'll i'll buy that this is an e that's pretty bad i'll buy that <laughs> you get some idea um and yeah the food labeling thing is who looks at food labels well it's usually people who are already uh, diet conscious right and they're looking for the information because they know they want it and the question is for security how many people know that they want it how many people look at the label so that's why there's a bit of division of opinion. I've tried to be very mild there, Brett. I don't know if you have a view on which camp you're in, what you think is the best way. <laughs> you know, I, I think I've oscillated or waxed and waned through various opinions on this. You know, on the one side, I can see a potential value if there was a way that it could be communicated uh, easily, but yet with enough teeth that the differences actually were tangible and meaningful. Um but to your point, when you and I've talked in the past about this, you know, like the food labeling, is there any data that proves that people actually pay attention to the food labels? You know, that there, I don't believe there's any, you know, academic research here, you know, any data sets that, you know, can kind of sway one way or another. But I think anecdotally, you can say that people that are health conscious already or are in the process of trying to become health conscious are going to pay attention to food labels. Everybody else is like, ooh, ice cream, <laughs> like gelato, <laughs> chocolate. And, you know, that's about the extent of it. 
And so it's more about the packaging of the material. And so as long as it could be done in such a way, you know, then maybe it could have, you know, an influence. I do find it interesting that the Singapore system is starting to be adopted by a lot of, you know, other countries, you know, and you mentioned the ISO standard, but in talking with them, it seems like they're also pinning a lot of it on the EN303645 work as well, um, because there's a lot of pieces there that seem to be um, uh, being used for that. So, Yeah, well, no one wants um, fracturing when it comes to this space, right? It's it's a nightmare. It's hard enough, actually, for manufacturers to meet one security standard, right? Especially when it's quite broad, like you say, it has a lot of really good areas. So it's really good that ISO are aligning and working with the existing well-established EN. Um, and I think that uh, in the case of Singapore, they've done some really good work in establishing mutual recognition schemes with Finland and Germany. So their labeling scheme, in fact, has kind of equivalents internationally, which is great. Um, the other thing that I think is quite interesting is this innovation of electronic labeling so that instead of just at the point of purchase, you can see, you can always see the security of your device and get some kind of updates on, on how it's going. Again, it's about that consumer behavior. Why would they check? What's the forcing function to make them aware? And in the case of food labels, I think the studies that have been done show that people who are healthier read food labels, but it doesn't mean they're healthier because they read the food labels. They might read the food labels because they are healthier. So <laughs> yeah. I'm always talking about correlation and causation here. Um, and I, I think that's exactly the same thing for IoT security. Those of us that care would already be looking at the labels anyway. So yeah. how useful will it be? Yeah. Or, you know, we would be looking up to see, you know, does this company have a track record of producing firmware updates and, you know, app updates, or is it literally a, a you know, once and forget kind of thing, you know, so... Mm. All right. So thank you, Kirsty, for talking today. Um, just everyone, you know, Kirsty Payne or Kirsty P, you know, she's a mathematician, um, a standards expert. You know, she worked at the UK NCSE. She's now working at Splunk as a technical strategic advisor. She has participated in technical European and international standards bodies, mostly around the topics of internet technologies, cryptography, security, privacy, artificial intelligence, and then also, of course, you know, this IoT and smart and connected world. Um, but really grateful to have you on, Kirsty. Thank you for all Thank you you, for you, you do and the industry as a whole. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like we always have a good a good chat and it's a, it's a delight to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Smarter Everything. We really love feedback, so please consider taking a moment to send us a comment or a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time and you like this episode, please consider subscribing. We'll see you next time for Smarter Everything.